Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the thing. On week four of this series called Soul Awakening. And um, let me start off with a story. This isn't a true story, but it's, it's a good story. It's a story of uh, two men that they were in a raft, and they were on the open sea. They were stranded, and it looked really bad for them. They knew that they were going to... One bottle of water, it was pretty much gone. And they got desperate. They didn't know what else to do. They weren't, you know, they, they grew up in the church, but they didn't really, the God thing wasn't really an option until the very last moment they thought they were going to die. And one frightened man, he cries out as loud as he can cry, Oh Lord, I've broken most of the Ten Commandments. I've done really bad things. I, you know, I have really bad habits. I'm a drunk. I curse. I steal. I treat people like dirt. But if my life is spared right now, I promise that I'll change. I'll never curse again. I'll never. And as soon as he said that second, I'll never. Suddenly his friend stops him and cried out, wait, Bob, don't go any further. I think I see a ship. That was good, right? And I, I like this story because it's so simple, but did you know the most important part about you is not what you achieve, it's not what you accumulate, it's who you are becoming. The most important part about you is who you are becoming. And so often stories like this, we, we don't want to really become. We, we get stuck at certain points, but God is calling us to move forward and become. Um, at a Christian leadership conference called Catalyst West, um, it was in Irvine, California years ago, and I went to the East Coast one in Atlanta about the same time that this one was on, and thousands of young pastors, future uh, church leaders, artists gathered together uh, in, a, in this huge um, area. It was thousands of them with fog machines, lighting. It was kind of like a 21st century Christian Woodstock environment, okay? Just like a big party for young, but it was for Christians, you know? And um, Dallas Willard was asked to speak at this event, and Dallas Willard is one of those guys that he is known for spiritual formation and the development of our souls. And he was about 50 years older than everybody else in the room. He wore a suit. Well, not, not a suit, but he wore a jacket and a tie. Nobody else in the room had a jacket and tie. Nobody else in the room probably knew how to tie a tie. But he got up there and he shared and he said this with the crowd. He said, what matters is not the accomplishments you achieve. What matters is the person you become. And then he spoke of how the soul is formed and the slow, unglamorous building of character over time in your life. And other speakers at the event, they spoke with great passion and they were dynamic and Dallas spoke in like a monotone voice. He was a professor. He just spoke in a monotone voice. 
When he was done, the whole crowd of tattooed 20-something clergy leapt to their feet in honor of what Dallas had just shared. And they cheer as if, like, Jack Nicholson is at the Oscars and he's winning an award. Like, that moment, like, ah, the place just erupted. Okay? The place erupted. Nobody else got a standing ovation like this standing ovation at all. Do you know why? Because our soul searches for depth. Our soul searches for authenticity. Our soul searches for a father. And that's what Dallas was communicating. That's the very heart of what Dallas was talking about. And uh, we have three stories, uh, three monologues. Why don't you guys come on up? Um, And I want you to consider these three stories. If I can, the mic disappeared. Anybody here? Oh, there we go. I want you to consider these, you guys can sit. Consider these three stories, okay? Mike's going to start us off. First story. I have so many friendships, or at least the onlookers would like to think so. I quickly connect with people in conversations, and I can get a crowd to laugh. Each path in my life has gone down. It seems I have it all together. As if I look at the surface of my own life, I look really good. I have a great job. My family's wonderful. A wife, two kids, and a nice home. This is a dream, right? Somehow, I am empty. I have no depth. I can chat with anyone, and yet no one knows who I really am. Not even my wife, or even myself. I don't share anything more than a lighthearted conversation. I feel like I could never go deeper, even if I wanted to. I don't know how. My insecurity of not wanting people to know the real me, the fears I have, the dreams deep in my heart, or the mistakes I have secretly made. I could never open up now. I'm too old to change how I am. I wish I could be free like some of the people I met. My mind races and things I wish I could say or do, but I hold back. Sometimes I find myself staring off to nowhere, thinking. And when my wife asks, what is on your mind? I simply answered, nothing. This is how our relationship is. Quiet around the house, loud and cunning in public. I don't want to ruin my impression of this beautiful, shallow life I have created. Emotion is overrated. Why do I feel so empty? My mother and my father achieved so much that I could never compete. I was never the pretty one, or the smart one, or the talented one. I just filled out the family roster. Now I'm married, but my marriage brings me little pleasure. My husband is as committed to his career as he is passive at home. I want to scream at him sometimes because anything would be better than his shallowness and silence. I tried teaching, but I don't do it well. I've tried writing, but every rejection from every publisher is so painful that I can't bring myself to risk it again. I never finish what I start. It's like a bad habit. 
I just can't figure out what I love, and yet sometimes I wish I was just normal. Find a career, work hard for the degree, and get a strong job I'm passionate about. But instead, I work at a job I do not like, that does not challenge me, and I feel buried. My two daughters struggled with, struggle with not being liked and not having the right appearance. When I see other parents at school or at church with children who look successful and happy, for whom life and school and athletics come easily, I find myself feeling furious with them and with God and with myself. I'm not an alcoholic, but I look forward to three glasses of wine every night so I can finally feel relief from this knot in my gut. I truly hate my life. I do not expect that it will ever be any different. When I was young, I had finished college and started life. I got married, I had children, I got a job as a financial analyst for an investment firm in Manhattan. I monitored the world, currencies were my specialty. I would place bets on when the yen was going up and when the euro was going down. I had monitors that kept me in touch with every time zone, every hour of the day. My cell was on vibrate 24 hours a day because a window can open and close at any time. My boss was a remarkable man, one of the inventors of the hedge fund, which can enable investors to make money on anything, whether the price goes up or down. Everybody who worked in the firm was 20 years younger than he was. We would sometimes sleep on cots in our offices to be able to pull the trigger on deals in a heartbeat. I got more money for Christmas bonuses than my dad ever dreamed of making in a lifetime. My family lived in an apartment not far from Central Park. The kids went to a private school we could barely afford. We bought a place in the suburbs that we could escape to on the weekends. I would wake up at 5 a.m. and start a coffee IV and live on adrenaline all day. My wife did most of the day-to-day -day stuff with the kids. We had a kind of inside-slash-outside arrangement where I was Mr. Outside. I had only one secret. I heard voices. One voice, actually. It came at random. I could never make out what it was saying. Whenever it spoke, something else was going on, or someone else was making noise, or I was on my way somewhere. One day, when I got home from work, I heard it clearly. I am your soul, and I am dying. I did not hear it again for many years. Let's give him a big hand. <laughs> These are the cry of our souls. The most important thing about you are, is not your accomplishments. It's not what you achieve it's who you are becoming. Our problem is that the world does not teach us to pay attention to what really matters the most, our souls. The advertisements we watch, the conversations we hold, the criteria in which society judges each other, the entertainment we take in, they all inflame a desire to consume that consumes and to fix our outer world. And yet God's waiting to redeem our soul. Just waiting. He's waiting for somebody to say, this is the most important part of me. Let me, let me, let's work on this area. Let's work on these areas. Let's move forward. So how does the world that we live in keep us from caring for our souls? Well, Jesus told a story about this, and if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4. It's a story about seeds, a farmer, and some different kinds of soil, some dirt. 
So if you got your Bibles, turn to Mark 4. We're going to start in verse uh, 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. A crowd that had gathered around him was so large that, that he got up into the boat and s- sat out in it on the, on the lake while all the people were um, among the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. He was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, but it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plant the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And then verse 7. Other seeds fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plant so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. In, this, in a story like this, it's really good to note what are the constants and what are the variables so that we can really grasp and understand Jesus' point here. So what are the constants? The, the seed is a constant, right? It's not a story about good seeds and bad seeds. Um, the seed will take root given half a chance, right? It's just, it's waiting, it's wanting, it's, it's going to grow if it'll give if anybody will give it half a chance. And the seed is a little picture of God's action and desire to redeem our souls. The farmer is also constant, right? Um, This isn't a story about a good sower and a bad sower, or a good farmer and a bad farmer. The first thing you notice about the farmer is he's super generous, right? And he, like, throws seed all over the place. He's, He's all in. He's like, Some get scattered here and there and thorns and over the pathway. But he's super generous with the seed. So the farmer's a constant. The soil is where things get interesting. And the soil is the variable. The soil is you and me. The soil represents our souls. It represents us. So Jesus said, some Seeds fell on the path. Some seeds fell on the path. In the Middle East, uh, conditions are dry like southern, here in Southern California, right? And if you have a path that's not paved, and a lot of people are walking on that path, it's going to be dry and cracked, and your seeds are not going to be given much of a chance there. The path is a place in the Middle East where farmers would walk, And sheep would be on their journey to go get food or water. The path is dry and hard. And seeds don't have a chance there, do they? They don't. And souls get that way, don't they? Often the seeds are people who have been hurting or disappointed in life. And they let the enemy rob them. And they build this protective shell around their life and their heart. They become cynical, bitter, suspicious, Often in the Bible, did you know that the hardened heart, these are like brothers, and you see this from the very beginning, Cain and Abel, and you see Jacob and Esau, and David and his brothers, and Joseph and his brothers. It's been a tactic from the very beginning to drive apart families. 
The world diverts our soul attention and encourages me to think of myself more as a victim than as a human being. And whenever I think of myself more as a victim, I, I get all wrapped up in my own hurt. And I don't notice even the hurt that I produce in other people's lives. Um, here's a fun story. Anne had been exceedingly mean just prior to dinner. Anne was, you know, around eight years old. And um, she had been super mean to her, her other sisters. And so mom, bring, mom and dad bring the family together to eat. And they have Anne sit at the card table on the other side of the kitchen by herself. And so dad prays a prayer giving thanks for the food. And right as dad finishes his prayer, Anne prays her prayer. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus, for preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> that is a bold little girl. Um, but I, you know, guys, seriously, I know, I know siblings that haven't talked to each other in like 15, 20 years over a small inheritance issue of a couple hundred bucks. I know siblings that haven't talked to each other because of a small argument and nobody wants to say they're sorry. I know siblings who over a couple different, a couple words refuse to sit down and have a meal together. And underneath that hardness is often fear. Fear. Fear of being rejected, looking foolish, being hurt. And I want you to know, if you identify with the hardened soul, all you have to do is say, God, crack this soil apart. Like, like and, and move towards doing a couple acts of self-sacrifice, doing a couple things that go beyond yourself. And all of a sudden, man, that, that ground will start to break open. The smallest acts of sacrifice, the smallest acts of self-denial can break up that soil. It just takes a little bit of softness to give the seed a chance. And let me tell you, that's, the seed is stronger than what you think, right? Do you know it takes sometimes a little seed can break up a whole sidewalk given the right space? Okay, let's look at the next one. So some seed fell on the rocky soil. And the idea here is not that there's a whole bunch of rocks and the seed falls between rocks. No, the idea here that Jesus is talking about is there's a, a thin layer of topsoil and underneath that is a huge mass of rock. And the, as the root, as that little seed takes root, the roots can't go deep. And when the sun comes up, there's no moisture and that, that seed uh, withers away, that little plant withers away the soil is too shallow for the roots guess what the world conspires against their souls to keep you superficial and shallow the world conspires against us to keep you superficial and shallow and there's a certain point where we have you have to say mm, i'm not gonna let my life heart go there um so one time it was a junior in college, and I was at this thing. It was a, called a salt retreat over the new year. And so I went there, and I met this guy that was videoing 
because they were videoing, it was a regional conference in the Great Lakes region, and it was a regional conference, and the following year they were, they were filming for the national conference the next year. Okay, so I met this guy, and he's chatting with me, but let me tell you, during worship time, as the video camera went by, do you know what I did? No, <laughs> I, and I, I'll be the first to say, I, there's been moments where I've just been utterly shallow in my life, where I've, wear, I've worn a mask, and I've been a big faker, okay? I always say I'm, I'm a recovering Pharisee. Well, this is one of those moments, okay? But anyway, the guy would go by, the crowd with the video, video camera, and I knew, guess what, that the next year I was going to watch the promotion video with my picture on it. And so what did I do? I mean, I raised my hand super high, as high as I could go, just so that everybody, I, I just, I wanted to be the center of that video. And, and I made an impression on, on the film guy, uh, he was hired to do this project, and he came to me afterwards in the hallway and he said, could, um, could I just get you an, an interview and I want you to encourage people to come next year to the conference. I said, I would love to. And all of a sudden, he says, go, and I just give my little spiel, and I was, I mean, I was amazing. <laughs> it was, it was really good. And I remember thinking, oh, that's going to make the video. Okay? And then he, he looks at his equipment, he looks at his camera, and he goes, oh, something happened. It didn't record. Can we go again? Say the exact same thing. And and in that 10-second window, it's as if the Holy Spirit started to shift something in my soul. And he said, ready, set, go. And I did, literally I froze, and normally I don't freeze, but I froze. And I, I tried to say something, and I mumbled some words, and he's like, he's going, oh, and I'm like, ugh. And finally, I just told him, I can't do this. I said, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm superficial, and I'm, I'm just, it's a mask. It's fake. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't record this. And I walked away. <laughs> and he, he wasn't like a Christian. He was just doing this job for the conference. And I don't know, I don't know what he thought. Maybe, maybe he's a Christian. Maybe he's a person of faith. But I, but I, I couldn't do it. I had... And, and, and there's going to be moments in your life where you realize, you know what? I am just being shallow. This is fake. God wants something real from your heart and your soul. And sometimes that could be two words or two pennies that's more authentic and real than all this extra stuff, okay? Richard Foster said, superficiality is a curse of our age. The curse of our age. The desperate need of the soul is not for intelligence and talent and excitement. The need for the soul is depth. Depth. This is the cry of one of the great song, soul songs of the Psalms. It's Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for streams, so my soul pants for you. You have to think about that. Like, I think about that moment at that retreat over the New Year's. My soul was not 
panting and desiring God. It was actually looking good for other people and wanting to make the video. Like, it was the opposite of this. Like, my soul wasn't there. The soul is the deepest part of us. It's so deep that sometimes I don't even fully understand, I don't understand it. Our soul is that deep. This is why the writers in the ancient world often address the soul in the third person. The way that they don't address the body or the mind or the will. There is depth to your soul that is beyond words. The Mariana Trench has been measured at a depth of 35,797 feet below sea level. Okay? Below sea level. Making it the deepest known place on this planet. If you took Mount Everest and put it at the bottom of that trench, there would, there would still be over a mile of water over the peak of Mount Everest. That's how deep this trench is. The deepest place on earth has been measured. The soul has yet to be measured. It is that deep. For much of our lives, we live in the shallow. And then something happens, like a birth, a death, a crisis, and we get a glimpse of the potential depth, depth of our soul, but yet so often we just don't want to go there because we don't know what it's going to unearth and uncover. Let me tell you, when you start like developing your conversational relationship with God, like that's where you start unearthing the depth of your soul. You start understanding how God's created you as a human being to go deep. So too much of our lives we live in the shallow. My soul becomes shallow when my interests and thoughts go no further than myself. Right? And that's me wanting to be in this video. It's just me, myself, and I. Me. A deep soul notices and questions doesn't just go through the motions. It observes and reflects. It lives in a constant awareness of God's presence and God's constant wooing and calling. A soul especially is depth when it's connected with God. And that's where, that's, that's God's deepest desire for us. Psalm 42, 6 says, My soul is downcast within me. And because the soul's downcast, what does he do? Therefore, I will remember you, God. I remember you. This notion of depth is part of why the Bible speaks of the soul of God, which is a really interesting concept. Uh, many people don't know this or haven't even heard about this, but, but there's more than 20 passages in our Bible that refer to the soul of God. Like, for example, God says uh, to his people in Leviticus 26, 11, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. Everything God is stands behind this promise to his people. My soul will not reject you, people. When Jesus was baptized, we're told that a voice from heaven spoke out, this is my son whom I love and whom my soul is well pleased the reason why God is talking about his soul there is because this is the deepest part of who he is, is speaking for his love and affirmation of his son Jesus. 
The deepest part of who he is is crying out, saying, I, my people, I will not reject you. The very core of who God is is the deep, from the deepest place of who God is. God's saying, I love you. The world conspires against our souls, blinding us to depth, tempting us to be satisfied with immediate gratification. In high school, Steve was an amazing football player. College, he was a, a pretty good football player, and then he got hurt. So he dropped out of college, he got married, and had a child. Steve never chose to defy God, he just drifted. He just drifted. It was easier to drink beer than work on his marriage, so he got a divorce. It was easier to complain about his job than um, to work with all his soul at his job, so he lost his job. It was easier to avoid people who would challenge him to actually move forward and connect with God with his soul, so he hung out with people who would honor his desire for comfort above all else. Now he lives with his son after being estranged for many, many years, uh, be, only because he has nowhere else to go. He watches vast amounts of porn in his bedroom to pass the time. He doesn't take care of his body. He's waiting to die. And when he dies, no one will mourn. But outside Steve's bedroom is a young man, his son, who's waiting for Steve to say one word of sorrow, regret, or love. Waiting. This is a ruined soul. So some seeds fall among the thorns, which grow up and choke the plant. Jesus said in Mark 4.19 that this is the condition where the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for things come and they choke the soul. Our world will divert your soul's attention, people, because it's a cluttered world. The clutter, um, I think out of these three, the clutter could be the most dangerous because it's so subtle in our lives. We don't even notice it until we're absolutely consumed. Once a yuppie came to Jesus, and he believed in God, and he led a respectable life, and he wanted to make sure that he had all his bases covered, so he asked Jesus how he was doing. And the yuppie was, you know, Jesus said, you're doing really well. Good job. Keep going. And then the yuppie was about to walk away, and Jesus mentioned casually, there's just one more small thing that you must do, one more detail that you have to take care of. And Jesus said something like this, go liquidate your assets Write out a check giving the whole enchilada to world vision. Then come back and hang out with me. And you will find that your soul has been saved. Because the busy soul gets attached to the wrong things. Because the, the soul is sticky. The soul is like Velcro. Things stick to it. The Velcro is the soul and Jesus... And Jesus calls what sticks to our soul desire here. It could be desire for money or it could simply be a desire for other things. But our soul's sticky. Remember, your soul's like Velcro and things want to stick to it. And the question is, what's sticking to your soul today? We mistake the clutter for our life. For life. 
The clutter in our life, we mistake it for life itself. And if we cease to be busy and successful, we, we wonder in the back of our head, do we really matter? Do we really matter? It takes a little uncluttered space to give the seed some room to grow. Guess what? This morning, your soul's waiting. Your soul's waiting. I have one more story, and then we'll do a couple practical tips. Uh, Jack died in a car, tragic car accident when he was 51 years old. He never did anything extraordinary. He just raised five kids and worked a job. He held his family together as his wife wrestled with chronic fatigue syndrome year after year. Um, he lived in a small house in Gladstone, Michigan, his whole adult life. He never traveled overseas. He never bought an expensive suit. He never owned a nice, expensive car. When he died, the church was packed. The church sat 500 and 700 people showed up. It was filled, that church was filled because of all the lives that he had touched. It turns out that that house on Sharkey Road was one of the small, strange, unmarked outposts of a great soul. And Jack was my dad. That's my story. I saw somebody that really lived this well. And somebody that I could model and look up to. Because what matters most is not what you accomplish or what you can accumulate in this life. What matters most is the person you are becoming. And what if we said, God, here's my soul. Here's where I'm at. Either I'm cluttered today. My soul's hardened. Where, the question is, where are you at? And let's give God space to redeem our souls. That's what God's into. God's in the business of redeeming souls. The soul can be saved from hardness and shallowness and clutter. And all it takes is, Holy Spirit, come. Build some softness and depth and space in my life. And the world will never help you with this. Never help you with this. Let me give you a couple practical tips today. Number one, your soul searches for someone who believes in you, a true father. If you don't have someone like that, ask God to highlight someone and ask them to meet or jump on a call with you monthly. So I want you to know I've had different people in my, li in my life over time that have played this role. And to this day, I've got friends that I, I call on a regular basis. How you doing? What's happening? They ask me how my soul is. I tell them. I ask them. And then in the end, uh, we talk about a little bit of church life, and they pray for me, and I, you know, we say, talk to you in a month or two. Everybody needs somebody like this. And if you don't, find somebody and ask them. Could we just have like a, like a little conversation once a month about how my soul's doing. Let me tell you, if you unpack that with somebody monthly, it, it all of a sudden it frames your life in a really special, unique way for God to do something awesome. Number two, if you identify with a shallow soul, start serving others so you're able to empathize. A good example of this, go feed the home with, homeless with us next, next week. Go feed people. Um, 
or maybe the second, so that's the second um, Sunday of the month, or jump in and serve at BBS, but go beyond yourself. So, so much of the shallow soul is focused on self, okay? And what we need in our lives is we need people to push us beyond self to others. And the shallow soul is so close to be, like, for God truly breaking in, but you need to go do something, okay? You need to go beyond yourself. So go feed people. Go help with PBS. Go do something for somebody other than yourself. And I was talking to Kate about this last night. It's like, our society, we like to do things, but we do like a selfie, and then we post about it. What if we just did things to do them instead of to promote them to the world? Like, I'm not saying if you do a selfie, it's fine. No big deal. But... My point is, why are, what's our motivation, right? What's the motivation behind what we're doing? That's what God cares about. Number three, look at, examine your soul once a week. Making sure that you're moving away from a hardened, shallow, clust, a cluttered soul to a soft, deep, and uncluttered soul. So just an awareness of this once a week, bringing it up, uh, if you have a devotional life, add it to your list once a week. And just say, how is my soul? What's happening? And talk to God about this through reflective prayer and worship. Say, God, here's where I'm at. I really need some help here. Um, my soul's super shallow right now. Help me go deep. My soul's cluttered right now. Help me unclutter it and find some space. My soul is, is hardened right now. Help me find some softness. Break up that ground, Jesus. Break up that ground. Well, why don't you guys stand for just a moment? At, we're going to sing this song, and we're going to do some ministry time. And before we do some ministry time, I would love for you... Actually, just close your eyes just for a moment. 